everyone, and welcome back to Mom Material Podcast. I have Hannah Mills on today. She is one of my favorite people, and she is so amazing and hilarious and kind. Hannah, will you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Hi, uh, my name's Hannah, obviously. Um, <laughs> I'm a piano teacher. I'm really passionate about developing in children um, traits that they can use in other aspects of life other than piano. So it would be nice if they could play wonderful music for me and for their family. And it would be nice if they could perform pretty well. But what I want in piano lesson is to develop um, skills that they can take other places in life. So like problem solving skills, maybe some confidence, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, so that's kind of who I am. That's what I'm passionate about. Yeah. And you're so good with kids. Like, you're just a silly person just in general. And I think that you have the ability to, like, I don't even know. Like, you are authentically you. And I think that children are always, like, authentically themselves. Mm. But even with adults, I think sometimes, like, we take ourselves too seriously. Mm. And you are, like, a breath of fresh air because you bring out, like, you're just so comfortable with yourself and like you're so real that other people like it's almost like you give other people the ability just to like be free and not have to like impress you or or worry I don't know if you feel like that yeah. but you make me feel like that. And you make me feel like that actually <laughs> maybe that's why we go so well <laughs> So I can only imagine how the kids feel when you're doing piano with them. Can you walk us through, like, what is your background with piano? Or, like, why specifically did you choose piano out of every type of musical instrument? (laughs) Well, I have to say I'm kind of a bumbling idiot in life. And God really just gave me just gift after gift. And I feel like, you know, usually... God will have a human and he'll be like, okay, I want this human to do this. And this is what this human is going to be good at. And then that human will kind of walk in that direction. But I really feel like I was just, who knows, doing what? And then God was just like, okay, stay. Okay, now stay here. (laughs) So Uh I went into college just not even knowing like really what college was. I was going to be a nurse. Then I was going to be an educator. Then I was going to be a music educator. Then I was just going to be a pianist. And it just kind of went all over the place. But what I ended up getting from college was this wonderful um, piano education, performance education. And once the teachers there and the professors there started seeing that I had a passion for teaching, they would just feed these these books and these podcasts and these um, lectures. And they would just be like, hey, you love this? here you go. And they would just, um, Mm -hmm. so I ended up with a BA in music, but learned a ton about like performance psychology and child development and, um, just all these wonderful, I couldn't have asked for a better so far life. I hope I don't die soon. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's so amazing. So then like with the piano, do you think that that offers, um, children or like you as a teacher um like a different style or a different experience than some other type of musical instrument and then if so like what would that experience be yes that's a very good question um so my 
primary teaching philosophy, it revolves around leading students down the path of discovery, right? Um, piano is, I believe, kind of a special case because you've got two hands doing two different things. You're reading two different lines of music for each hand. Each hand might be playing 10 notes, who knows? It's just, there's a lot going on. There's so much going yeah. on to where if you just tried to, I want to say BS it, but I don't know if that's a bad word. If you just tried to BS it, then you would end up getting frustrated. You'll get angry. It'll be very hard to gain proficiency in piano unless you slow down, unless you um, forgive your mistakes, unless you do all these um, mm -hmm. These things that we can gloss over if we're looking for perfectionism. Mm, yeah, that's good. Like when you're on, like if you're trying to master something, which when you talk about like musicians and violinists and pianists, pianists? Yeah. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Oh, yes, I got it. Um, you can tell I'm not like musically educated whatsoever. So this is good for me because Justin will look at me, my husband, and he'll be like, Brady, how do you not know that? Um, but what was I going to say? So like when you are teaching, what do you think like some of the skills when you're talking about like performance psychology and you being passionate about a teacher and all of these things that the kids are having to develop and you have to have patience instead of perfection because it is like a journey to master the thing. How do you think that as a teacher, you help them through that journey? Um, that's a good question. Um, probably the best thing I could do for them is have patience with myself, is mm. forgive my mistakes, is just enjoy my music. Because, you know, children see, children do. If you are just this persnickety, just can't forgive your mistakes, your students are going to see that as well and they're gonna copy. Um, but furthermore, even if my students don't see me perform or they don't see me practice, or they don't see these things that I want them to do, they'll be able to tell because I'll have more grace with them. I'll have more patience with them. I'll be able to forgive their mistakes like it's nothing because it really doesn't mean anything to me. Like I just want them to enjoy and to learn. And so who cares if they hit a C instead of a B flat, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, I love that so much because uh, just like in the athletic world, you see parents and coaches. That's more of my background. You see parents, coaches, um, just almost like – what is the word? So they will like project onto their kids. Mm -hmm. It's almost like they are performing and they've invested so much money, I'm sure, into lessons and time. And so they are very invested but it almost makes the kid burn out so much faster because of all the um, expectations that are set on them. And then the feedback that they get from coaches or parents um, when they don't do well, yeah. that when it is it, when they do make a mistake or when they don't have a good, great, good game, um, how like parents or coaches like just come down hard and they forget that the kids started this because of, it being fun yeah. that they enjoyed it. Yeah. So I'm super glad that 
like you foster that motivation and that love. Like I hear it in your voice. Um, so I can only imagine that the kids just like have a ball with you. (laughs) It's hard for me not to really enjoy them because once you accept that, um, you're in this for the long haul, you're not, I'm not here to teach them how to play this Chopin piece flawlessly and perform it flawlessly. I'm here to help develop a pianist and develop a performer and a problem solver. And once you're committed to that, then it's hard not to enjoy every second of it because mistakes don't become something that you have to grind down on you literally you're there to have fun especially children nowadays they can learn they have all the information they want at the fingertips right if i Mm -hmm. were to sit here and to tell them what to think they would never go anywhere with it but if i tell them how to think Mm -hmm. and i kind of dangle that carrot in front of them like hey like this is this is what um you will achieve if you do X, Y, and Z, then they'll be able to go so much further than if I were just to sit there and be like, practice right now, 40 hours a day, you know? Yeah. And you're like, from the sports psychology standpoint, or just the performance psychology standpoint, you're really tuning in to intrinsic motivation. Mm -hmm. And so you are giving them like, Hey, this, these are some of the rewards that you will get, which is a little bit external, but you foster that intrinsic motivation by like letting them have autonomy with problem solving or letting them fail because like we totally need to fail in life to be able to have like insight and knowledge. And it's all about how you look at that failure and what you do with it instead of just like, man, I failed at this. I'm no good at piano. It's like, well, yeah, you, you never will be good at piano or anything else if you have that attitude. Yeah. So I think that's great that you were fostering that at such a young age too, um, because you're going to make mistakes and that's totally okay. So could you talk to us a little bit about like what specifically music does to a child's brain development? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, You know, it does a lot for the child's brain development earlier on and you'll see it you'll see it like once they start going to school then what it'll do is it'll help them it'll help them kind of regulate their time it'll help them with their memory skills it'll help them with their cognitive skills it'll do all these things but um i think we forget a lot about like infancy and the toddler era of music education because that can do a lot for their brain there and if and if we focus on kind of this I call it, it's the pre-reading stage of music development. Um, then everything else is just kind of heightened, if that makes sense. I For the brain and for very early music education, I say that the infant and the toddler era is almost the most important because what we have there is we don't have any chance of a student coming out a concert piano or a perfect pianist or winning the Van Cliven competition. But what we have is this great opportunity to connect with the children um, and for the parents to connect with the children and to make eye mm-hmm. contact and to do some little taps on the children. And once you develop or help develop a healthy relationship between the parent and the infant or the toddler, then you can see some incredible brain development there you can get just a healthy happy brain that will make mistakes that will make messes and 
will use those mistakes and method and messes to fall in love with everything else in life if that makes sense mm-hmm. um we'll see almost they get a thirst of life they're not they're not having to worry they're confident in their relationship with the parents and that thirst of life will just develop a proficiency in anything they can get hmm. You know, that makes me think of attachment theory. Mm -hmm. So when you are, as a child, you have secure attachment with your caregiver, Mm -hmm. then it's like you automatically get a head start or you're able to have resiliency, whereas other kids aren't. So Mm -hmm. um, like being a kid and getting dropped off at daycare it's not as bad for you because you know that your parents are going to come back and pick you up. Yeah. Like they, you know that they can, you can trust what they're going to say and they've been there for you and they don't get mad at you when you make mistakes and all that kind of stuff. So that's what made me think of that. But when you talk about this, this period in a toddler infant's life, what are some teaching, um, tips that you can give parents just to start because I need this. I'm not musically inclined. Like I've made very clear. So what would you tell someone that doesn't really know what they're doing on how to kind of prime their, their child's brain to engage with like musical activities? Mm -hmm. Primarily, I believe that if you want to reach somebody else, you have to look at yourself. So I mentioned before, if I want my students to have um, patience with themselves and to love piano and to forgive themselves, then I have to do that for myself. That goes along with a new parent's desire for their infant and their child to excel. I really believe that you need to have confidence in yourself as a mom or as a dad or as a caretaker. You need to have a love for yourself and you need to have kind of a love for life, definitely a love for life. What happens Mm -hmm. is in that early stage, um, if we focus too much on performance or if we focus too much on milestones or if we focus too Mm -hmm. much on, okay, how is my baby doing compared to Stacy's baby over there who's already walking? (laughs) You know, Stacy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't even know Stacy. Wait, yes, I do. <laughs> um, but if we focus on ourselves and how we feel and how we see life, um, then we can pour out such valuable and wonderful things to our infants and our toddlers. We can look at them and have genuine love in our heart, and we have genuine happiness in our heart, and we can sing with them and we can play with them and it doesn't even have to be anything, I guess, high level music. It can be mm-hmm. like patty cake. It can be, you look mm-hmm. at your son and you sing a silly song about ladles. It can be, you're tapping the beat along with, to, on your little baby's nose along with one of your favorite songs. Things like that, that kind of just come naturally if you allow it to, are incredible for the children. It gets them to love life. They'll start to see the things that you see that you love about um, 
they'll be able to make eye contact with you, to interact with you, all these wonderful things. They'll even like feel the rhythm. They'll start getting rhythm in their own body. So as far as a new mom or a new dad not being super confident in their skills with bounces or lullabies or things like that, I really think you need to understand that your love and your patience with yourself and your love for life and your love for music goes further than any kind of education will go. Totally. That's, that's awesome. And I totally hear that in you, which is exciting for kids to be able to get coached by you. Mm -hmm. And I just, that's awesome. Um, that parents can like trust someone like you that like, you really are so passionate about these kids. Um, so that's super cool. And then like, as the child develops, like, what are some tips that parents can do, um, to help them further their, like, love for music or just get exposure to pianos or other type of musical instruments? Like, what do you suggest as the kid gets older? Again, if you want your child to love music and to listen to music, you have to do it. You have to love music and you have to listen to music. And it can even be rap. I'm not a big fan of rap, okay? But (laughs) if you love rap and you are passionate about rap, then listen to it and enjoy it. Um, Maybe find some family-friendly rap to listen to, but, or classical music. Maybe you want your child to really love classical music, but you can't really find that love in yourself. That's fine. Find one piece. There's a million pieces out there. Find one piece you enjoy and listen to it. Look up program notes, find the history. Um, I don't know if there's a way to develop a love of music in your child if you don't love it as well. So that, I'm not sure if there is a way for that, but I do know that if you do want your child to love music, just love it yourself. It's nothing that you have to regulate. And if you want them to practice and you want them to enjoy something, you do that as well and they'll see it Mm -hmm. and they'll do it. Yeah, that makes me think of uh, my husband. His mom introduced classical music to them, all of his siblings, like super young. Yeah. And he claims that he has perfect pitch, <laughs> which he probably does because he like understands how to like, like what, what like sounds mean and the waves of the sounds. And he just like detects it. And here I am just like singing some song and he's like, Brandy. <laughs> I do want him to play his violin for Isaac, though. And that way Isaac can get exposed to violins. Yes. And the classical music and that syntax communication. But for the record, okay, I've stood next to you in church and I have heard you sing and I really enjoy it. (laughs) I love it. I'm like, I want that passion as well. Oh my gosh, you're hilarious. Oh, okay, so you mentioned lullabies, and when we were at Frosty Cone, yes. chowing down on some, some ice cream, you mentioned that you were looking into some research or books on the universal like cadence or sound of lullabies. Yes. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yes, absolutely. Um, So kind of what's heading this research is I want to develop a program for infants 
and their fathers. I want to find a way to teach dads how to connect with their children as well, because for mothers, it might come a lot easier, right? Like we're babysitting from an early age. We have that brain structure to kind of understand communication without words. It's a little bit easier for mothers, Mm -hmm. but I want to find a way and a curriculum to help fathers and their children because they might need they might need just a little bit more guidance and a little bit more reassurance um, that they know what they're doing, if that makes sense. Really, I just want to build um, a curriculum that makes fathers confident in connecting with their babies. But I have this mm-hmm. book series. <laughs> I don't know how to say his <laughs> name. John Farabend? Farabend? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. Somebody put me on these books whenever I started teaching pre-K music and it's got like claps and taps and, and lullabies and bounces. And I got, I got to reading some of the lullabies and it was talking about how, um, in the olden days, <laughs> people would <laughs> sing lullabies to their children. Their children would grow up. Their children would remember just the happy times they had with those lullabies. They would sing it to mm-hmm. their children. And it was kind of like this cycle, this culture, this wonderful, happy um, experience. Nowadays, you know, parents are moving, parents have to work, children go into daycare or children don't go into daycare and they're put in front of a TV for their music or they're put in front of a radio for their music or something. They don't really get that person to person you singing a lullaby to your children, you're making eye contact with that child, you're creating these mm-hmm. memories with the children. Um, and what these lullabies do, again, it just it goes back to the confidence in the parents. It, um, I want to find a way to, I don't know if it's just me that has a thirst for music and understanding music and understanding um, like the history in the music. Um, I'm not a parent, and not too many of my friends are parents yet, except for Brandy Boy. Brandy Boy's a parent. <laughs> so I have to do a lot of looking into um, most of these things, but um, for the lullabies, whenever I was teaching the preschool, the children did enjoy singing it back to me. They're, they're always simple, lullabies by structure, repeat the same tune over and over again so that the calms the baby it's something reliable and the baby can fall asleep so these lullabies in the for the preschoolers they were having fun learning about each different culture oh this is a different language this is called spanish or this is called chinese and we would kind of get to delve into what different cultures meant and what they were and then learn this wonderful lullaby that they could literally sing around school because it's easy to memorize so yeah that's why that's why I really like these the the learning about the lullabies. It's just fun. I like it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and the taps and the claps and they're silly and they're goofy, but they're fun, okay? So when you're talking about like cross-cultural lullabies, do you see any patterns of like what other parents are doing in different cultures with their lullabies? Um, yes, in the sense that each kind of area has their own math in music, right? We have, so we have a major scale and we have whole step, whole step, half step, whole step, whole step, whole step, half step, very common uh, little math equation to our, I guess, 
Western year. Um, it's a little bit more diverse now, obviously. But then we have other cultures like in the East that have semitones or we have um, maybe more Russian or Latvian music that sounds a little bit more minor. So there are patterns that you can see in a lot of these lullabies. And then if we go deeper in, there's um, more specific music theory or music math to each piece. So they're getting kind of this wide array of expression because expression in children is very important. And on like the very lowest of levels, they're learning, hey, this is happy. Hey, this is sad. This is a way to express yourself when you're angry. This is a way to express yourself yeah. when you're whatever. They're kind of working on organizing just everything in life, really. But um, for lullabies, you definitely will see cultural and um, geographical tendencies in music. Huh, that is so fascinating. Um, I need to get this book. Yeah, so I, I'll just send it to you. I can do that. Yes, what is the book called again? <laughs> it's literally, you kind of have to like, oh, hey, this one, I have no idea how to pronounce any of those words. But yeah. I, what I ended up doing whenever I was teaching these in preschool is I would just look it up and then I would put it on Google Translate and I would listen to phonetics. <laughs> and I'd be like, okay. No way. Or I would look it so up. So you would translate the, the different language to English and then do the English lullaby. No, I would translate it to English so that I understood it. But, and then I could teach it to the kids because they, they enjoy kind of knowing what they're saying. And then I would also use Google Translate to hear how to pronounce these crazy words I've never seen mm. in my life. And then these children can learn like the Russian or the Latvian or yeah. the Chinese lullaby in that language, yeah. which is pretty fun. Yes, and just like the exposure to different languages because their brain is constantly developing and what is it, neuroplasticity. Like, so they have so many um, brain cells that are connecting and growing. Um, so that's that's super cool to be able to like give them exposure to something else. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, need to, I need to start doing that. You gave me a lot to work on. <laughs> Like, oh my gosh, poor Isaac is not going to be musically inclined. That's, yet. No, that's not true. Yes. Because you love music, He's, okay? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But now I'm going to know what to do with Isaac. Um, so this is going to be great. Make up your own song about um, it. Perhaps you will enjoy it. Yes. Yeah, I just, I personally just make random noises mm. that he finds exciting. And I'm like, okay, we'll just do that again and again and again. <laughs> Um, and it's fun. It's fun yeah. for us. So I guess that's all that matters. Um, so Hannah, do you have any like closing remarks on just anything else that you want to say before we close up? I don't, I don't believe so. You did mention something that made me think about, I, I can't actually remember what it is. Oh yeah. Uh, we kind of brushed over the emotional regulating, but I do think that that's a very important part to note about this the toddler in the infancy stage. And honestly, it kind of goes with anything. Um, something that early, so if you have a new baby and you're happy and you're singing or you're sad, you're singing, what you're doing is you're, you're showing them like these inflections in your voice. Like when I sing, um, tofu is a good dog, then obviously I'm happy and I'm smiling and it's yeah. a fun tune. Or if I'm like, 
Brandy hasn't visited me in years. Then you can see on my face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, Brandy. I'm not kidding. <laughs> but you know, this emotional regling is really yeah. important as well. But honestly, that's it. I really love your vision and your passion for these things because I really, I know that that's going to go very far and, and you're going to touch a lot of lives. And I'm really excited to see where you go and, and how you do. And I'm not even that upset at you moving because I'm like, yeah, okay. Brandy <laughs> needs to be shared with everyone and I can't be a stupid, selfish idiot. no here's here's what we need to do we just need to after we're done in missouri we'll just find you guys wherever you and david are and we'll just plant ourselves there and raise our children together and we can just come up with the best lullabies and skits and crazy things they're gonna be it's gonna be great i see it in my head it'll be fantastic it'll be wonderful and my dad already said that next year, whenever we drive through Missouri, we're going to visit you. I was like, yay, go dad. Yes. <laughs> Woo. Uncle Frank. Yes. <laughs> uh, oh, man. I freaking love your family. They love you. Okay. So, uh, Hannah, mm-hmm. I want to, like, every guest that I ask uh, to come on the podcast, Obviously, like my faith is the most important thing to me. And I know that your faith is also really important to you as well. So I wanted you to leave us with how God is working in your life right now. That's good. I'm going through this stage of unshackling. And it's been like one to two years. And it's just been like, it's just been boom, 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 almost like there's no rest, but it's so good. And I'm really, really loving it. It's like, um, at first, like I went into some intense financial trouble. Okay, guess what? I got to learn how to manage my money and how to not be afraid of looking at my own bank account. And also I learned about credit cards. (laughs) And then this next stage in life, (laughs) this next stage in life, uh, I get a new boyfriend and I'm learning how to be vulnerable and how not to put up walls and how in life, you just have if you don't want to be hurt really bad then you just have to accept that sometimes you're going to get hurt and you have to be vulnerable oh and then the next stage in life is how to save money and pay off credit card bills (laughs) things like that it's just like just like one after another i'm just getting unshackled from these silly little things i've been holding to the rest of my life or all my life and i'm really grateful like it's hard like a lot of weeks i cry and then the next day, I'm like, wow, actually, I'm learning a lot. Thank you so much for loving me enough to teach me this. <laughs> so that's my life. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And that is so true. Like, just because you are a Christian doesn't mean that you have it all together, that you're perfect. I don't know. I don't know if anyone ever thinks that. But, like, the fact that God is a loving father who is constantly, like, teaching his kids. Yeah. And you're growing and you're learning and you're so much better off now, even if that was pretty difficult, honestly, Um, which I know it was some of those experiences. But yeah, like look at you now. Yeah. Amazing. Yes. I'm really happy. Where where can people find you? Facebook. Uh, I have a website. Um, I have an Instagram that's not super active and I don't know why. But um yeah those three i'm in fort worth i teach in um azel and weatherford in um carrollton yeah 
Okay. And your website is www.missHannahsPianoStudio.com? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Perfect. There's actually okay, a perfect. lot of them. So. <laughs> There's a lot of Miss Hannah Piano Studios. Yeah, I looked it up. There's like 10. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> so, so how do we know that? It, <laughs> just go, how do they know to go to yours? Go in the show notes, perhaps. Or look on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll put those in there, too. <laughs> Hannah, you are the bee's knees. Thank you so much. Thank you. For being the best friend ever no, to you. everyone. In teaching our children, <laughs> the masses. No, thank you, Brandy. Okay. I'm really, I'm really touched that you asked me to do this, and I really love you. And it's such, so good to see your face, and it's so good to hear Isaac. I hear him every now and then. I'm like, oh, uh, my heart. <laughs> All right, I love you, Hannah. Love you too. <laughs>